Ari Rosenbaum here uh, with another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about uh, what I call the Lorita r- rules for 4K plan providers and what the heck that means and all that stuff. Um, but of course, first things first, um, we uh, go to that 4 site.com for further information on all the live events, uh, virtual conference starting in January, January 26th, 27th, $2.23 to be part of it. Uh, it's cheap. We're adding more and more providers to the two-day event. Um, some good content. Two days of uh, uh, you know learning how to you know build your business. Some new stuff. Some new products out there and whatnot. And uh, we hope for you to be a part of it. And like I said, two dollars and twenty-three cents until uh, Thanksgiving time, and then we'll probably up it to about twenty bucks. Even at twenty bucks, still a good deal. There'll be a YouTube channel um, where uh, you'll be able to, you know, watch if you, you know, miss and whatnot. You know, it's unlike a, a live event where if you miss it, uh, you missed it. Um, you know, whatever you lost in the bathroom break, you lost. But uh, it'll be all up for YouTube if you want to see live events. Detroit, we have a date for the May 3rd. We're looking to other dates for Arlington, Texas, and figure out what other we're going to do. Uh, I'm still trying to find out about Oakland. I don't think we'll hear about Oakland if it, at all until November. Um, and if we do Oakland, it will probably be in April. Um, Arlington's still in play, Milwaukee, and hopefully somewhere in New York. It's been uh, a while since we had a New York event. It's going to be over three years. Uh, since our MetLife Stadium event, which was a, was, was a, certainly a lot of fun, great turnout that we had there, and you know, obviously, even with COVID, we try to replicate that. We always get a good crowd in New York for some obvious reason, probably because I'm from New York. Um, but anyway, let's go to the topic at hand, and um, the Lorita rules. Well, I named the Lorita rules after Rich Lorita, and uh, I think for people who read my stuff over the years and I've written quite a bit about Rich um, I'd say uh, in terms of profound influences on my career um, Rich Lorita is probably number one on my list I mean there are other people you know Ron Nearing who's a buddy of mine from the College Republicans a lot of his kind of marketing stuff and politics uh, that I learned from him and whatnot transcends um, not only politics but also business and so I certainly picked up a, a few things. And uh, Rich Lorita was somebody that I worked with um, for nine years, working at two TPAs. And sadly, uh, Rich Lorita passed away. It's hard to believe. I mean, you know, I, <laughs> anytime when you look at age, uh, I always say, you know, we were young ones. And uh, Rich Lorita has passed away um, in 2007. Um, March 2007, so it's over 15 years that he passed away, and it's incredible to think that uh, he's been gone that long, and, you know, he didn't reach, reach the age of 40, he didn't take care of himself in terms of his health, and uh, quickly, um, colon cancer um, spread and whatnot, and, you know, it's such a shame, but um, Rich Lorita, I will always say, when I have, you know, that 4K conference, or even this podcast, a little bit of Rich is still there because he really taught me a lot of things. He taught me more 
than any retirement plan book uh, could ever teach me about retirement plans because, you know, it's interesting that, you know, Rich uh, didn't have that much knowledge about the retirement plan business. Rich was a natural salesman, natural um, good uh, buddy who, you know, again, 15 years later, people still talk about him. I will post about Rich Larita sometime and, and people will, people, you know, uh, on LinkedIn will mention it. And, um, you know, one of the things that I will always remember with Rich, um, you know, with him, clients came first and everything else came second. And, you know, Rich was not just a salesperson. He was really a counselor and ombudsman for, for the clients. When a client had an issue and Rich had sold them the plan, they would call Rich to complain. And Rich would get to the bottom of, you know, if an administrator screwed up or whatnot, um, I remember years ago, uh, again, of course, years ago since he passed away, we had a client Rich got from an advisor uh, out here in Long Island. They made commercial carpet, like, actually, it was, I wouldn't even say commercial carpet. They made, you know, they're not Mohawk Industries, they, they're Stainmaster or whatever. They were like this really high-end carpet company, and um, they had unlimited loans. And if you know anything... Uh, about me, you know, I hate unlimited loans. You'd have people, participants with seven or eight loans and the company want to stop it. So we were going to restate the plan document and say one loan. And of course, I, we restated the document and said, you know, one loan outstanding at a time. And the conversion person, uh, who we'll call Norma, uh, put in the plan specs as unlimited loans. So the participant calls up and says, how many loans can I take? And Phone person says, it's unlimited. And of course, client gets wind of it, gets upset. Rich gets cold and Rich gets to the bottom of it. Uh, conversion person lied and said that I screwed up on the plan document. It wasn't true. She just screwed up on the plan specs. But, you know, Rich was really, you know, unlike most TPA salesperson who just like kind of sells the plan and just walks away. He was, you know, somebody who would always return client phone calls. Um, he would, you know, be a pain in our rear end, um, you know, on the administration side if, you know, the client wasn't happy. And sometimes the client wasn't, you know, wasn't right. And we had to, uh, you know, uh, make sure that uh, Rich realized that that it wasn't our fault. But, you know, he would call out anybody. Um, you know, you know, he would call fellow employees out. He wouldn't try to, you know, sugarcoat what they did. He'd, he'd want people responsible and call people to task. And he wasn't really about, you know, playing politics and playing nice when it came to, you know, you know, employees that were screwing up. His main concern was the client and obviously the advisor that was attached to that client. And, you know, that was a big, big, big to-do. And, uh, you know, he knew the simple, you know, mantra that happy clients never leave. Unhappy clients do. And um, Rich was fantastic. He wanted, uh, he was in the relationship business. We talk so much, I talk so much sometimes at the retirement plan business and relationship-driven business. And, you know, Rich already taught me that. When you go to law school... 
they don't teach you how to network. They don't teach you that networking is probably a more important tool than great grades in terms of getting jobs and uh, developing relationships. You know, I would just, you know, sometimes you think about my time in law school and, you know, some of the ways I thought I could get a job were just like, like, you can't believe that uh, you try that. You can't believe you just send out a cold call, um, you know, letter to somebody, alumni, and, you know, part of the country that you want to visit and try to get a job. And, you know, you'd obviously never hear back from them. But, you know, Rich realized that he was in the relationship-driven business, you know, that he was, you know, developing relationships and how developing relationships were drawn business. And how was he successful? You know, he was the nicest guy you ever met. You know, you wanted to be his friend. Um, Goose Gossage was my guest at um, uh, the national conference that we had at Disney World right before COVID hit. And uh, he knew Rich Larita because he, he, he met Rich Larita at an autograph signing many years ago at Steiner Sports at the Roosevelt Field Mall, which I did too. And I think one time it was a Matrix conference and they saw each other again at the golf course and whatever, and I, I don't know if it was ever true, but Rich helped uh, Goose get some speaking gigs at the Matrix events and whatnot. Um, you know, Rich was very good at telling stories, so he told me that story, you know. I don't know if it was true or not. Um, but I spoke to Goose, and Goose remembered Rich. He didn't remember Rich's name, but, you know, f you know, 15 years, you know, 13, uh, at that time, 13 years after her death, Goose Gossage remembered him, um, and Goose is a great guy. Actually, I saw him in July, and I said, "Goose, you remember that?" I saw, uh, I saw Goose at the um, National Sports Card Collectors Convention. I said, "Goose, you remember that time you, me, and Larry we closed down Disney World?" And he laughed and he recognized me. But he was hilarious. He was thoughtful. He would be generous. I remember being, you know, uh, an attorney working. At that TPA, um, I think it was like April or May 99, I was there probably six or seven months. You know, he knew I was a Mets fan, invited me to Mets game at Shea Stadium. Nice tickets. We, you know, we had dinner at the Diamond Club, which is, a, you know, Shea Stadium. That, that was the only place decent to eat. And, you know, saw John Franco get his 300 save. He didn't have to do that, but he realized that, uh, you know, that was a great way of developing a relationship with me and that, you know, ultimately paid off for him. And, you know, um, again, with Rich, with his stories, you know, stories might have been apocryphal, but they weren't entertaining. I'm still waiting for him to deliver a Ferguson Jenkins bowl because he met Ferguson Jenkins somewhere, I don't know, whatever. But I think that he, um, you know, I, I know so many of the, you know, one, one thing about Rich is he traveled a lot. And, you know, anytime I travel for that 4K conference, I always think in my mind, uh, how did he do it? Uh, traveling to me is a lot of work and just tiring and all that stuff. And, you know, he would tell you travel stories and he told so many times I would know the stories. But I think that uh, one of the key successes to be a successful salesperson is that people have to like you. And, you know, uh, he had that personality. Uh, he wanted to be his friends. I've seen other people in the retirement plan business who are salespeople, 
and they lack what Rich had. And I think what's important is that they had a wonderful personality. You know, I think what made Rich special was he had a wonderful personality and a confidence. Uh, at least he gave that impression, because deep down I think most salespeople are, don't have do have insecurities. I saw that with Rich, um, and I would <laughs> we were very good at pushing each other's buttons, and I could certainly push down on his insecurities. Um, you know, uh, Rich was so likable. You know, and when you're so likable, people want you to succeed. Um, if they don't like you. You know, um, they're not going to want you to succeed. Uh, they're going to resent you. They're going to say bad things about you. And I never heard anybody say a bad thing about Rich Loretta. He's been gone 15 years. I'll post an article probably this week, and you will see people say, oh, my God, Rich was the best. And, you know, um, some of my great relationships in the six-time business is through Rich. Uh, Bill Shorey is a good friend. Um, uh, Matt Curtin at MetLife. Larry Davis books all my athlete appearances. I met. How did I meet Larry Davis? Larry, I met through Rich because Rich had a relationship with Larry. And when there were these baseball signings, uh, Larry would ask Rich to help out with the events. And that's how I met Larry. Um, one thing Rich was great at was spotting good talent and nurturing it. And again, um, you know, I met Rich in the fall of 1998. Um, invited me to the Mets game. You know, he obviously knew that he was going to get a friend for life. Uh, I never forget when people are nice to me. Um, when that TPA went under and Rich got a job at Geller Group, he recommended me, and that's why I got the job at Geller. Um, you know, I was not doing well in my job opportunities when the TPA was closing down, and Rich, you know, sent me a lifeline. And, uh, you know, that certainly helped out, because when I started over there, about six weeks later, I became the head TPA, uh, the head of risk attorney of that TPA. You know, uh, one thing, um, I think people can say that, you know, Rich did you know, what Rich did for me was out of the kindness of his own heart. And I don't think he did that. I think he did that because he saw that I was talented enough to help him work with the ERISA department. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that Rich Loretta, I joke, uh, you know, he didn't know much about the 4K plan business and he wanted to be surrounded by people that he could bring to a client meeting and, and that he could certainly trust. And he he knew loyalty. He was loyal to, you know, his group of employees, and we were loyal to him. You know, he knew how to be nice to the file room guys, give them Yankee tickets. You know, they were Yankee fans. They're going to go out and bust chops for him. He knew that. Um, and again, it wasn't for Rich. You know, again, they don't teach you about networking and developing relationships at law school. Thanks to Rich, I was able to, you know, develop relationships with advisors and whatnot. And so it allowed me to gain confidence in, in public speaking and whatnot. I think if people would tell you that they met me in the fall of 1998 or 1999 or 2000, I kept in my office. I was very, very quiet. I didn't talk much, just did my work and whatnot. And I think people could say that Rich got me out of my shell. And, you know, his nurturing, um, you know, that's why I'm here today. 
you know, without that, um, there is no that 401k conference. There is no Rosenbaum law firm. I mean, I don't think that the, you know, he, he got me out and he, he knew what I could do and he gave me, you know, not teaching tips, but just seeing how he operated. You know, I, I tried to replicate that. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, I remember he dole out U.S. Open tickets for golf and whatnot. And I remember I was at Meyer Swazi and I had U.S. Open tickets and I gave them away to people and it resulted in nothing. You know, people just took it and just, you know, went and never thanks and all that stuff. But that's, you know, that's, that's rich because rich could spot people that could help him and who he needed to, uh, uh, as they say, grease. And I think rich was very good at, <laughs> telling people that, you know, to me, he told me the proposition that it's okay that you don't know certain things. You should surround yourself with those that do. And one of them, you know, like I said, Rich brought me along with, uh, you know, to client meetings and whatnot, and that certainly helped with my confidence and, you know, trying to, you know, start my own practice, you know, three years after he passed. My running joke about Rich is that he couldn't spell the, you know, he couldn't spell 401k. Even if I spotted him before the O, the one, and the K, and he he was in the retirement plan business, but he had really uh, no knowledge of retirement plans, um, and that that you know people would find that astounding because you know I'm sure you know uh, I, I I think that people are surprised that I would think that you know a lot of TPA salespeople are people who started out as administrators. Uh, knew one fellow who no longer works there, but was at a really top Long Island benefits group, and he was an administrator for, you know, 10, 15 years, and he was an excellent administrator, and that, you know, he had the confidence, and he was a very good salesperson. But Rich had no, you know, background, in my opinion, in administration. You know, uh, I think Rich's lack of knowledge was actually one of his strongest points because he conceded that point. That's why he would bring in the ERISA attorney, the actuary, or whatever, or the plan administrator, and you're in on a call or meeting and whatnot. And uh, that helped him a lot. You know, it's again, it's the Rodney Dangerfield line in back to school. You want to look thin, surround yourself with heavy people. You want to look smart in the retirement plan business, surround yourself with smart people. It just gives that, that aura. So people would forget that Rich had no knowledge of the 401k plans in general. He knew how to sell. He knew how to develop relationships. But when it came time to a new comparability, a safe harbor plane design, he said, you know what? I, I don't know this stuff. Let me go and, and, and get these guys to answer the questions. And again, uh, you know, this relationship, it allowed me to, you know, develop my own retirement plan practice in the future. You know, all those meetings and meeting with clients and whatnot, he, you know, Rich just knew, you know, so... Let me work with, you know, let me work with Ari. And, and when we had we had an actuary who was a stammering fool, Rich knew never to bring that actuary. But when we got a new actuary um, by the name of Andy, um, Rich knew he could bring him in on meetings. And uh, it, it worked like magic. And, and nobody was the wiser, you know, plan sponsor that, you know, that uh, – they just knew that uh, you know the questions got answered. Even if Rich didn't have the knowledge, he got the people the right answer that they needed. 
I think also Rich knew that reputation means everything, and your word is your bonds. Um, he, you know, we were a producing TPA, and we had, you know, to some degree a bad name for ourselves in taking business from brokers that referred us business, and that was a problem, and Rich would never do that. Rich would never steal business from a broker or advisor he worked with. And there were times when a client would fire the broker, the advisor, and Rich would make sure that we fired uh, the client as a TPA. Uh, he just wanted to, uh, he he just wanted to you know maintain those relationships and stealing. He realized that stealing business from your friends was not a good idea, and so that's why uh, that's why he was successful at what he did. Next, um, I think he. Knew, I think he knew the proposition that if you give people a finger, they will give you their hands. And he just really, if you, I think that, you know, he wasn't a boss. Uh, he was a co-worker, and he just understood human nature. If you war people a little, you get a lot in return. You know, again, uh, the Mets tickets, or, you know, or letting me cut in line to meet Reggie Jackson, or Tino Martinez, or Goose. Uh, those are things I remember still to this day. And again, that, that's just me. That's you know, there are, there are people out there. Again, you know, with the law firm and I give it out U.S. Open tickets. Um, more people, most people are appreciative when you give them things, and they will always remember it. And some people forget. I mean, it is what it is. But you know, he he knew how to develop relationship with me. He knew how to develop loyalty to me. Um, and, you know, Rich Rich was, you know, the same way with advisors and brokers. He knew how to treat them. He knew how to grease them, as they say. Uh, you know, not, not greasing them by bribing them, but, you know, just take them into dinner, golfing events. You know, he, he knew um, how these relationships developed. He was always out of the office. He was always whining and dining folks. And, you know... The way Rich treated me reminds me of how one of my bosses treated us, where he says, you know what, if you refer us a client, we'll give you $350. And I thought that was nonsensical. I thought that uh, if you refer somebody a client, especially when we had a piece of the advisory business, you should give somebody, the employee, like a trail as a paid solicitor, whatever it is, recurring billing. So if I got you a 401k client with $10 million of assets and you're constantly getting paid each quarter, I should get paid each quarter. And, um, you know, the problem with, you know, that boss, you, you'd get $350, but the problem was is it was a one-time deal and you would have to chase him down for six months to get to get that 350 bucks. And to me, that's why I never sold for him. Uh, it wasn't worth it. It was insulting. Um, so I would never you know, try to get a referral for our business. But, you know, when it came to Rich, I would move mountains for Rich because Rich treated me well. Um, and I'll never forget that. Um, the 401k plan industry is very, very small. And again, like I said before, relationships mean everything. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, he just showed you that if you were successful at developing relationships, you were going to be successful in business. That's what I would remember about him. And um, he knew that it really meant everything. 
he knew that if he if we did well with one client for an advisor, then the advisor would bring more and more business. That's why he was always on top of us, not to screw up. Um, you know, if the plan administrator was doing the allocation wrong or whatnot, um, he just he just knew that. And so again, when that situation occurred with that you know carpet manufacturer and the one loan outstanding. You know, he went ballistic when he found out that uh, not only did the conversion person goof, but they also lied and tried to cover up by blaming me. And uh, let's just say that that detective work and that bump in the road helped him helped him with that advisor, and the advisor referred more business to Rich because you know they they that advisor knew that they could trust Rich, that Rich was going to handle their clients with care and make sure that you know plan administrators would do. And the last rule, um, you know, and I think the biggest rule of all is that, you know, if the legacy of a man in the former K plan business is measured by those he touched, by the number of people who respected him, by the lessons he taught, then a big piece of Richard Literator will live through all of us. And I still contend to this day, um, that four K conference, um, there's a little bit of rich there. Um, he would have loved it. <laughs> and he probably would have busted my chops that why didn't I come up with this idea earlier? But uh, Rich was very, very fantastic. He loved sports. Um, you know, as I look now downstairs, um, Rich, uh, Rich was a huge collector of uh, autographs and Steiner sports. His house um, was just wall-to-wall -wall stuff. He was a big Brick Farr fan. He was a big Yankees fan. And as I look, um, his widow was going to sell off all the stuff, all the memorabilia. She didn't need it, whatnot. She wasn't a big sports fan. rich. She gave me a list of, um, you know, before she sold, just already take one piece. And this is what I have. And uh, I picked out a 16 by 20 autograph of Hank Aaron. And uh, it's just the back of Hank, his, you know, 73, 74 jersey, where it just has 44 signed by Hank. It's kind of weird because the frame is featuring Mets colors. So I think Steiner Sports goofed on that. But anyway, I look at it now and I remember um, that frame picture was in my office um, downstairs here. It was, that office was full of five feet of water. Uh, and norm, normally that stuff should have, that picture should have been flooded out and it wasn't, it was spared. I don't think it's the same thing as the uh, Western Wall in Jerusalem, but that picture survived everything and it's still hanging out my wall. So anytime I think of it, and the reason I picked out Hank Aaron, I said, you know what, Hank Aaron was the home run king and uh, Rich Lerita was the 401k salesperson king, so that's why I got that, and that's why it stands and still hangs on my wall, and wherever I go after this house, it will come with me, and that is one item I will not ever sell. Um, it just means a lot to me. So um, we, I hope that you enjoyed this episode of that 401k podcast. We will be back next week with another episode, and uh, again, go to that 4 for further information on all our live events. Thanks. Bye.